No, I'll pass. Thanks. Service is a little bit different this evening. We had most of our, or all of our special music this morning just due to um, special services, Resurrection <clears throat> Sunday, and uh, had a great morning. Um, just so thankful for um, everything that the Lord did, even just in bringing uh, visitors in and, and guests to come and, and celebrate the resurrection with us. And uh, it was just a blessing. Great message this morning. Thankful for that. And now, tonight, due to the fact that we don't have special music and some of the other things going on, it is 614. I'm just getting started. So, one of two things could happen. We could get out early. Or I could preach a little bit longer. And I guess it's going to depend on whether I think you're listening or not. Amen. Amen. <laughs> That's good. I appreciate Hey, some responsiveness might get us out of here earlier. All right. Matthew chapter 27 tonight is where we are going to be. <clears throat> Matthew 27. Uh, the majority of Matthew 27 describes for us the crucifixion of Christ, uh, his uh, sacrifice on our behalf and his death for us and then his burial. We're going to look at a, a portion of Matthew 27 right at the end, right before we read of his resurrection. I want to read the last few verses of the chapter. So if you're in Matthew 27, if you would stand with me for the reading of the scripture. Tonight, Matthew 27, we'll begin reading in verse number 62. It says, Now the next day that followed, the day of the preparation, this is the day now after Christ was crucified, the next day that followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver, they're talking about Jesus, we remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch. Go your way, and I want you to notice these words. Make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. I want to preach to you tonight on as sure as you can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we do thank you so much for your word. Tonight, Lord, we need your help, as we always do as we approach your word. We need your help to be able to not only understand what is here for us, but Lord, to, to receive it, to, to really understand how these truths apply to us today. I pray that you would just help us to behold tonight marvelous things out of your word. Speak to us, Lord, encourage hearts, challenge us, and uh, Lord, draw us closer to yourself as we sang a moment ago. We ask these things now in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Throughout Jesus' ministry, the Pharisees and the chief priests, the religious ruling class of the day, was very concerned about their reputation and their teachings and how 
Jesus' teachings, which often contradicted their teaching, would cause them to kind of uh, be embarrassed or to look foolish. And, and often Jesus did just that. As they would come and try and entrap him in his words, uh, he would make them look foolish. His answers to them uh, would, would confuse them and confound them, and, and, and they would walk away uh, with egg on their face more times than not. And now Jesus has been put to death. He's been crucified by the, at the hands of wicked men, of course. These men were the ones who were leading the charge in that. They were the ones who conspired to put Jesus to death. And after Jesus died and was buried and put in the tomb, I, I can just imagine as those men probably went back to their homes or their meeting place that night with a little bit of a smirk on their face and just a little bit of a, an attitude, their chest puffed out a little bit, thinking, we won. And then they went, went back and, and began to meet and talk about all those crazy things that Jesus said while he was alive on the earth. And at some point it dawned on one of them that Jesus had foretold that he would die. That he would be put to death. And that beyond that, he also said that in three days he was going to rise again. I can just kind of imagine the wheels turning in their heads as they started to kind of maybe the, the reality of what had just taken place began to sink in. And they realized that actually Jesus, what he had said, was coming to pass. And they were, were becoming aware of the reality that it is possible that within three days that tomb could be empty. And so they devised this plan. We're going to go to Pilate, the, the ruler, the governor, and we're going to ask that he would be willing to set some guards in place, to uh, what, what they call the watch, to put a watch there, uh, uh, some security guards, to make sure that nobody could come and disturb the body and nobody could disturb the tomb because if Jesus was not in that tomb in three days, it would actually validate everything that he had said. And that would actually, that, that would mean that their plan had backfired. And they couldn't allow that to happen. So they, they go to Pilate in this, in this conspiracy. They, they try to manipulate the circumstances. They ask him uh, to put a watch there and to seal the tomb, to seal the sepulcher. You see in verse number 66, So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Uh, most, most Bible teachers believe that what happened probably with that ceiling was that that stone that had been rolled in front of the door there had maybe some kind of a wax seal that they put around it so that you could easily see if that had been broken, if it had been disturbed. And so they thought, okay, now we finally got him. Not only did we put Jesus to death, but we actually put a seal on the tomb. We put guards there to be sure that his body stays there in the tomb. And obviously we know that that really didn't matter, did it? <laughs> Jesus wasn't held in that tomb by any guards or by any stone rolled in front of it. Uh, he is life. In him is life. He is the resurrection and the life, and death could not hold him. But they had this idea that somehow, that by their sealing of the tomb and by their watch, that they would be able to keep him in the tomb. 
And I want you to notice those words. I drew your attention to them a moment ago in verse number 65. Pilate said unto them, ye have a watch. In other words, I'll grant you some soldiers to watch the tomb. And then he said this, make it as sure as you can. I want you to go there. Do everything you can to make sure that that body doesn't go missing from the tomb. But the reality is, as we look at that, man's efforts to seal that tomb, no matter how good they were, the best that they could do wasn't enough, was it, to hold Jesus in the grave. And so I want to just preach to you tonight some lessons that we learn, actually from this account that the Lord decided to put in his word for us to, for us to read this and understand what was going on here. And there's some lessons that we learn about God and about man from this passage of scripture. The first thing I want to point out to you is that God's promises are unchangeable. God's promises are unchangeable. In other words, God keeps his word. Notice in verse number 63, these men who came to Pilate, they said, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. They remembered that Jesus had foretold not only his death, but also his resurrection. And what they were not understanding, what they weren't realizing is that what he had promised was about to come to pass because everything that God says will come to pass. He keeps his promises. They are unchangeable. Look uh, forward just a few verses into chapter 28. And uh, verse number 5 says, And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Notice those next three words. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Come and see for yourself that Jesus did exactly what he said he would do. That God fulfilled his word. That God kept his promises. You see, this was a time, and we've been talking about these uh, the, the, the priests and the Pharisees and, and the religious rulers, but I want you to know and think about this for a moment that the disciples and those who followed Jesus and loved Jesus, they were in a time of great despair and discouragement and even fear. We, we see that they were locked in an upper room for fear of the Jews. They thought since they killed Jesus, they were coming after them. And so they're, they're fearful, they're worried, and in their fearfulness, they forgot what Jesus had said. I, I find it fascinating that the Pharisees remember the word of Christ. They remember that, that he said he was going to rise again, but somehow Jesus' followers forgot all about it. And they were in a time of hopelessness and discouragement and despair and fear. Uh, hold your place here, but go back just a few pages. Let's look through this. I want to show you that this is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. Matthew chapter number 16. We're going to walk through a few of these very quickly tonight. Matthew 16 and verse number 21. Matthew 16, 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. He didn't just say, I'm going to come out of the tomb, I'm going to rise again. He told them what was going to happen and when it was going to happen. 
He said that he would be raised on the third day. Now go forward to chapter 17 and verse number 22. It says, And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry. And then go forward to chapter number 20. Verse number 18. It says, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death. And shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. So on at least three different occasions, Jesus told his disciples that this was going to happen. He had told them even more times than that that he was going to die. But he's told them at least three times that he's going to be raised again. And yet somehow they've just totally missed it. Have you ever been so... Defeated or discouraged by circumstances, maybe a, a trial comes into your life, and and some it just seems like it clouds everything. It, it, it's all consuming. You're in a time of despair and and desperation and hopelessness, and it's almost as though you either forget the promises of God or you just fail to believe them. We heard a great message this morning on faithlessness. Uh, on, on not believing what we cannot see. And, and the reality is that sometimes we become so overwhelmed with our problems that we fail to remember or fail to believe what God has said. Really, all that matters is it's not what we see, it's not what we feel, it's not what seems to be real, but it's what God has said. And if God said it, it is so. God always keeps his word. This is important for us to understand because there are times, again, as we heard this morning, there are times that it doesn't feel like God is true to his word. It doesn't feel like God is faithful. It doesn't feel like God loves us. But we are not called to live by our feelings. We're called to walk and live by faith. And faith is accepting what God has said and taking him at his word and we can be confident that what he has said always comes to pass. It always does, because God keeps his promises. I want to show you another place, though, if you'll go with me to the book of Luke, in chapter 24. <clears throat> Luke chapter 24, I want to show you how our desperation, our discouragement, our sorrow, fears and worries and concerns, discouragement, can actually cloud our judgment and, and cause us to fail to understand, to believe, and even to realize the presence of the Lord. Luke 24, look at verse number 13. It says, And behold, two of them, this is two of Jesus' disciples, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I want you to think about this. It says that they communed about these things and they reasoned. That's kind of a natural human response, isn't it? To try and work through things in our mind, to try and, I use the term sometimes, I, I need some time to wrap my mind around this. I need some time to try and understand this. I've got to try and 
see how these things can align and fit in my mind. And as they're trying to figure out how does <clears throat> Jesus is in the tomb. They don't realize that he's risen again. They're, they're thinking he's, he's in the tomb, he's dead, but we had supposed him to be our Messiah, our deliverer. We believed him with all our hearts. We had given our lives to him, and now everything that we have believed, everything that we have lived for, everything that we've sacrificed for is called into question. We just don't really know if it's true anymore. And they're reasoning about these things. And in the midst of this, Jesus shows up bodily, physically, in their presence. Imagine that. Here Jesus, that they thought was dead, he's there with them, walking with them. But look at verse number 16. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Jesus was in their presence and they missed it. They didn't even know it. Look at verse number 17. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk? Notice these words, and are sad. Guys, I, I, I'm listening to what you're talking about. I, I'm hearing your words. I'm seeing your countenance, and I can tell that you are sad. You are overcome with sorrow. You're burdened. You're weighed down. What are you talking about? And they answered, in verse number 18, And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? <laughs> Jesus could have said, Well, sort of. Not from here. And hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, what things? <laughs> I, I, I love the Lord. He is so kind and yet sarcastic at the same time. <laughs> Tell me, what problem do you have that God hasn't already solved? <laughs> what things? What are you talking about? <laughs> and they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. And we trusted that he had been he, that it had been he, which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished which were early at the sepulcher when they found not his body and they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive and certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said but him they saw not then he said unto them O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So what Jesus is saying here, listen, you, your grief has caused you to neglect and even to, to fail to believe the clearly revealed word of God. Why, why are you so foolish? Why are you so unbelieving? Because of your circumstances. Folks, we need to remember that God's promises are unchangeable. No matter what we see with our eyes, 
God is always at work, maybe behind the scenes, but if he said it, you can stand on it. You can believe it. Jesus said he would rise again, and he did. So we find that God's promises are unchangeable. But as we go back to Matthew 27, we also find that his power is unstoppable. His power is unstoppable. Verse 65 again, Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure. How sure was it? There was nothing that was going to keep Jesus in that tomb. You see, man, no matter how determined he is, no matter how confident he is, man is not able to change the purposes of God. If God is determined to do something, he's going to do it with or without you and me. And there's nothing that we can do to stand in his way. God is able, God is powerful, and there's nothing that man can do to stop him. I want you to think about this, that these men, these religious leaders, they thought, at least at some point, they they thought, they really believed that they had foiled Jesus' plan. They thought this man has come, he's going to try to kind of usurp our authority. He's going to come and he's going to take over Israel. And they saw Jesus as a threat to their power, uh, to to their uh, prestige. They they just saw him as a problem. So they had conspired and they thought, we're going to put him to death. And now he's dead, he's laying in the tomb. And they thought, we got him, we did it, we foiled his plan. You know what they didn't realize? Not only did they not foil his plan... But God actually used their hands and their wicked minds and their wicked hearts to bring his plan to pass. God used their sinister, devious ideas to bring about his purpose. Because God's power is unstoppable. And it doesn't matter if you reject him or resist him. If God wants it to be done, he's going to fulfill it. He's going to fulfill his will and his plan. You see, they thought that they had killed Jesus. What they didn't realize is that they did not kill him. He laid down his life. There's a difference. Hold your place here. I know we're turning a lot, but I want to show you this in Luke or John chapter 10. <clears throat> this is a passage of scripture we looked at several weeks ago. Pastor Smith was preaching on the shepherd and the sheep. John chapter number 10. Verse number 14, notice this. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore... Doth my father love me, because I lay down my life, listen to this, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down myself. Jesus wasn't in the tomb because the Jews killed him. He said, I could could presently call 12 legions of angels 
He was there because he willingly laid down his life to pay for your sins and my sins. He just used their hands to do the work. He laid down his life. And then he said, listen to this, I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. They couldn't kill him without his permission and they couldn't keep him dead. Because his plan was to die and to, to rise again and there was nothing they could do. Nothing that man does can alter the purpose and plan of God. Why, why is that important? Listen, so many people in the world today are so, even Christian people, are so fearful and worried about everything going on in the world. And they sit and watch too much news or listen to too much talk radio or read too much on social media or whatever. People are all consumed with these different conspiracy theories and all that. Listen, <clears throat> are there conspiracies going on? You'd have to be blind not to see it. You better believe that there are things going on behind the scenes that strings are being pulled and Things are being manipulated, and, and, and the problem is if you get focused on those things, you, you begin to be overwhelmed by fear and dread and worry what's going to be tomorrow and what's going to happen and how is this all going to unfold. And I just want you to know, no schemes of men, no conspiracies by man can ever thwart or overthrow God's purpose and his plan. He's in control. Yes, there are wicked men that are manipulating and moving and changing and there are problems in the world as a result of so many of these things, but I just want you to know God's still on the throne. His power is unstoppable. No matter what they do, they're never going to be able to overthrow God's plan. Nothing can happen outside of His uh, uh, sovereignty and His ability to control it. It is only by His permission that wicked men have any reason to, or any ability to accomplish anything. But the truth is, folks, that the things that they're trying to accomplish, they, they don't realize they're just falling right into place. All the pieces are falling into place for what God said was going to happen. So God's promises are unchangeable. God's power is unstoppable. But then as we go back to Matthew 27, I want you to notice this. Man's perception is unimportant. Man's perception is unimportant. In other words, what people believe does not change the truth about what God said. <clears throat> Man's perception is unimportant. Matthew chapter 27, verse number 63. Listen to this. Saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver, he's speaking of Jesus, that that deceiver said... While he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command therefore that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people he is risen from the dead. Here's what the Pharisees and these chief priests had determined in their mind. First of all, they had determined that Jesus was a liar. They called him a deceiver. That, that was, they wouldn't even refer to him by name. They just came to Pilate and said, Hey, you, you know that deceiver that you put to death, that liar? Now, I don't know how many of them really believed this and how many of them were just trying to convince themselves of this. 
in order to save face and, and save their reputation. But for whatever reason, they had already determined that they were not going to believe what Jesus said. I mean, you would think if they were wise that they would have sat back and thought, maybe we ought to wait three days and just see if there's anything to this. <laughs> but they didn't. They had already convinced themselves, this cannot be true. And therefore, because I don't want to believe it, and I don't want to believe him, because the Messiah isn't who I thought he would be, I'm rejecting him, I'm refusing to believe him, he's a deceiver. And so if, if in three days that tomb is empty, it has to be only because the disciples stole him away. It couldn't possibly be that he told the truth. It couldn't possibly be that he is really of God. They were sure... They were convinced, but they were wrong. And then look over to chapter 28, verse number 11. Now Jesus has been raised, and the tomb is empty, and what are they going to do? Well, it says now when they were going, verse 11 of 28, behold, some of the watch, these are the security guards, came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. <coughs> And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, listen to this, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while he slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. Why? Well, because <clears throat> these Roman soldiers... If that body had been stolen under their watch, <laughs> they were going to be in hot water. In fact, they were probably preparing to pay with their own lives for letting something like that happen. But the chief priests, listen, they weren't angry with these soldiers. They didn't say, boy, you know what, we're going to go to Pilate. If they were smart, they would have said, we're going to go to Pilate. We're going to tell them that you are sleeping on your watch, that the disciples came overpowered you and took the body and, and you're going to die for this. That would have helped save their reputation. But they, they wanted this to be very hush-hush. So they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you money and we want you to lie and say that the disciples stole him away. And if, if Pilate finds out about this, don't worry, we'll take care of that. But we want to make sure that nobody in the world could possibly believe Jesus is still alive. They were so convinced that Jesus was not who he said he was, that they were going to do... They, I mean, this is a pretty elaborate scheme to try and produce a narrative that's totally false just to keep people from believing the truth. Folks, if you don't think this is going on today, <laughs> are there false narratives out there? Yes, are, are there things that are happening? Is there, is, is there, uh, are there messages that are being portrayed just simply to keep people from believing the truth? Yes, absolutely. Why? Because Satan, our enemy, is, is a deceiver. He is a liar and the father of it. And he's working to deceive people. He's working to blind the minds of people. And so all these, these, these Pharisees, these chief priests, they were deceived... And they set out to deceive the people. But you see, man's perception is unimportant because none of that changed the truth of what really happened. 
And so they were as sure as they could be. As sure as they could be. That Jesus was still dead and it did not change the fact that he rose. How does this apply to you and me tonight? Well, first of all, God's promises are unchangeable. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of what you might be facing, the things that you might feel overwhelmed by, and maybe today you feel like, I know what God said, but I'm just not convinced that it's true or that it applies in my life. I just want you to know, regardless of your circumstances, God keeps his word. You can be confident in that. Secondly, God's power is unstoppable. Nothing happens outside of God's sovereign control. There's nothing that you can do or anyone else can do to overcome God's plan and God's purpose. And that applies in your life as well. Friend, you might have things going on and, and maybe you're fearful about what, what's going on in the world or our nation. Maybe there are situations in your life, at your workplace, in your family, and you're just thinking, man, if this happens and, and, and what if that happens and, and how's this going to affect this or that? And I just want you to know God's in control and his power is unstoppable and there's nothing beyond his ability to control. Place it in his hands. Trust him. Trust him. You can count on his word and you can be confident that his power is unstoppable. And lastly, man's perception is unimportant. Listen, tonight you can be sure about many different things. You can be fully convinced, fully persuaded that something is true. But that doesn't make it so. There are people all over the world tonight that deny the existence of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the second coming of Christ. That doesn't make it so. There are people who will stand even in pulpits and claim to be Christians and they'll deny the reality of hell, eternal judgment, a literal devil. They'll deny the, the, the reliability of the scriptures. They deny biblical truth. It doesn't make it so. It's possible to be convinced of things that are not true. So tonight, what I want to just encourage you is get outside of your own perception and look into the Word of God and remember that what He said is so. You can stand on it. You can trust it. You can know that he is in control. really doesn't matter what man's opinion is. So many voices in the world today that will try and convince you of so many things. But there's only one truth that you can stand on. It's the word of God. It's our only foundation. It's our anchor. Get in the book. Believe it. These were highly regarded, highly respected people. They were the government officials. They were the religious rulers. And there was an accepted narrative. And none of it was true. It was all a big smoke screen, but what God said came to pass. Folks, we're living in confusing times, fearful times, and troublesome times. But you can be sure there's more to what's going on than meets the eye, and God is in control, and you can trust Him.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time and your word tonight. Thank you, Lord, for even just some simple truths about the resurrection that maybe we don't consider all the time, but Lord, we're just reminded of your faithfulness. Lord, we're reminded of your of your goodness. We're reminded that you are true and you are right. Lord, would you help us to align ourselves with your word, to stand on it, to believe it, to trust you, Lord, and to walk, Lord, not fearful, not discouraged, not sorrowful like those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Help us not to miss your presence in the midst of our distress. But Lord, help us to draw near to you and stand on your truth Lord, help us have confidence and be encouraged by these things that we've heard tonight. We ask in Jesus' name.